Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Creditors Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith Debnam, Naren Drake, St. Singh & Myers, LLP. My name is Lauren Reeves. I'm a partner in the firm's business law section. Before we begin, I do want to note that the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information and content is intended for general information purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. With that out of the way, we will turn our attention to this week's topic, which is estate planning, generally. I guess we could call it Estate Planning 101. We have two guests today, um, and they're here to discuss the important topic, and uh, it's Gene Cianelli, who's been on the podcast before, and Andrew Bullard. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Well, let's start. Are you ready to talk about estate planning? Absolutely. All right. So basic intro 101 question. What is estate planning? Why is it important? Um, estate planning is, is important for, for a number of reasons, but I, I want to kind of address a perception um, about estate planning that, that I think is out there. And, and I think a lot of people think that, well, estate planning is just about who gets your, who gets your things, who gets your stuff. Um, after you pass away. And as we'll, we'll discuss today, it's really about a lot more than that. It's about planning for your death, both in terms of who gets your property, but also um, when do they get it? Where does it come from? Um, and how smooth is that transition um, of ownership to them? Um, the other key thing with estate planning is that it also has a lot to do with um, what decisions are made um, while you're living. So if, for instance, you fall under some incapacity at some, um, at some point, uh, whether due to an illness, for instance, um, a, a properly executed estate plan can um, address what happens in, in those scenarios and um, uh, say who can make decisions on your behalf and so forth. So again, it's, it's about a lot more than just what happens to your property after you pass away. So what if you don't have a great deal of money? Do you still need an estate plan? This is Andrew Bullard. Uh, yes, you absolutely do. Um, whether you think you have an, an enormous amount of money or you have a car in a, like one bank account, absolutely you need an estate plan. Um, you'd actually be surprised at what you pass away with. And if you pass away, even with only a vehicle, there's still a title that goes along with it. If you want that specific item to go to somebody, you're going to need a will or you're going to need some alternate way of getting it to them. The response I hear most often from clients is, well, I've got joint assets. I have beneficiary designations. I've taken care of everything. So why would I need a will or power of attorney on top of that? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe all those assets will get to where they're supposed to go, but I can guarantee you you're not going to get everything. You're not going to – personal property items don't have titles with them. So if you're looking to create a dispute, don't do an estate plan. If you are looking to create a dispute, then absolutely just tell somebody how you want your property distributed and wait for the fight to erupt. Yeah, and I think another thing that sneaks up on people is um, a lot of times people will have a, a larger estate really than they – than they perceive. Um, and by this, you know, so they may have life insurance, for instance, or um, real estate or, you know, other investments that have built up a lot of equity that they may not have, you know, paid a lot for and they don't perceive as being that valuable as a result, but actually are much more valuable than they than they think. Um, another asset that, 
that people have that I would put in the category of kind of sneaking up on them in terms of values is retirement accounts. Um, a lot of times people will have huge amounts of money in their um, 401k or other kind of retirement accounts that they just don't think of as being um, part of their estates. So I think, uh, I think Andrew's right um, beyond just not, you know, wanting to set up the fight as it were, but a lot of times people have um, more assets than they think. So it sounds like estate planning is for everyone living or, and then it benefits everybody after you're dead because it doesn't make it as difficult on your family members or, or next of kin who are dealing with that. Um, particularly because estate planning can help you w- during your mm-hmm. life and then can help your loved ones. Correct. Once. It's, it's more about the people who are, you know, it's more about your, your other family members than yourself. Okay. So let's go into what happens if I don't have an estate plan when I die. Mm-hmm. There's some rumor floating around that the government gets all your money. <laughs> um, well, that rumor is untrue. The, the government doesn't come in and take all your property if you uh, if you die without a will or without an estate plan um, in place. What the what the government does do, what what North Carolina and every other state's law um, does do, is provide for what's called intestate succession, meaning. Uh, you know, it, it dictates what happens to your property um, if you die without a will. And, you know, in, in North Carolina and every other state, there's there's statutes on the books that say if you die without a will and you leave, say, um, a wife and or a surviving spouse and children, then the property is divided up primarily or entirely among them in certain percentages. And states vary a little bit as to you know what those percentages are, um, and things like that. But it's it's generally the case um, in North Carolina and really every other state that that they would get the the lion's share, if not all, of your estate if you if you die without a will. So, are there risks to not having a will? There. There are definitely risks to not having a will, um, especially what Gene just described. If you have a spouse and children, you can come into a situation where you can become an owner, especially on real property with a with a minor child. And trying to sell a piece of property like that can require going to court for administration to get that freed up. Um, if, and I would say, if you don't have a will or you don't think you need one, just I mean, go down to the courthouse and see how many guardianships there are for minors and who've had to have situations like that resolved. The easiest way to take care of something, especially for spouses, is just leave everything to the surviving spouse and then take care of children after that if you have children. So, all right, let's talk about drafting your own will or do you need a professional to do that? Um, I love people who draft their own wills because – I get to mostly probate something that is complete garbage, but um, that is, you can draft your own will. Absolutely. There's a different way. I mean, there's different types of wills. There's holographic wills. There's your traditional will, which is two witnesses. If you want to make it self-proving, it's two witnesses and a notary notarizing all of the signatures on the document. If you're going to try and do your own, absolutely can be done. Good luck in some ways, because it's probably not going to work out the way that you think, mostly for the fact that you're probably going to get 
distributions wrong, or you're going to get the executor provisions wrong, or you're going to try and create something very simple for your family that's going to create a conflict in many ways. Um, but if you if you want to try and do your own surgery at home and don't want a doctor, then go for it with an attorney as well and don't use us to do a will. Very clearly stated. <laughs> the other thing I would say about that is if you think it's going to work with just telling family members how you want something divided, that is probably going to also result in a conflict or litigation. I We even in meetings all the time, we get people who will say, well, I'll just leave it all to my son. I'll leave it all to my daughter and they'll do quote unquote, the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you probably eight out of 10 times the right thing doesn't happen. Um, so if you really think that your children or somewhat distant loved one is going to get along and they're going to be kosher about everything, it's probably not going to happen most of the time. Um, and if it doesn't, then you've just made it that most likely you're going to make lawyers very rich. Well, and the right thing isn't really definable. Or it's pretty arbitrary. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I agree with Andrew in that it's, it's the, in my experience, it's the exception rather than the rule that, that the person who, uh, you know, the, the person who's died is so convinced will, will, will do the right thing, um, actually does it, um, and, and one more thing, there's uh, different, different states are, are kind of all over the map as to whether they will formally recognize uh, an oral will. There are some states that will only do so in very limited circumstances, some states not at all. Some states it has to be a real kind of deathbed mm -hmm. scenario where the uh, decedent is literally on his or her deathbed and they make a declaration about uh, who they want to get certain property. It is it is not not recommended at all, and and I also don't recommend you drafting your own will either, even writing it down. All right. So we know it's really important to have a will. We understand how it affects loved ones after death. So how do I create an estate plan? What do I do? Yeah, I think and when. Well, as soon as possible. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, clients will, you know, it can be some life event that will trigger their thoughts of um, uh, doing an estate plan, having a child, getting married, um, getting divorced. Um, and, and those are all uh, great times to, to start. But, of course, as we discussed before, um, a lot of times people don't think they need an estate plan when they, when they really do. Um, because they just have more property uh, than than they thought, um, but obviously start as soon as possible. Other thing to keep in mind is is don't just don't just do an estate plan and kind of uh, sit on it. Um, you know, review it periodically. Um, contact your your attorney who who drafted your estate plan for you periodically, and just you know check in. Um, with any life updates there were, if there were children or grandchildren who came along um, after you did your estate plan, it's important that to to kind of see it as um, an organic plan that that evolves as your life changes, rather than just something you do once and kind of forget about. Also, as a PSA to that, if you think when you're in the hospital that's the best time to start your estate plan, 
It's not. That's probably not going to occur. It takes a little bit of time to draft these type of documents. So don't be sitting on your deathbed and think, I'm going to call the attorney right now and get something done to make sure it's taken care of. So for the type A about us who like to schedule things, is there periodic things? Is it only with life changes? Is it every few years? What do you really recommend? I really recommend the every few years route. Um, you know, even if even if nothing's really changed, again, I think, you know, once, once you uh, talk and interact with your estate planning attorney, more, more is really changed um, than you think, um, even if another child hasn't come along. I mean, you may have switched jobs, uh, may have started a business, um, may have acquired or sold um, different property that's, that's critical um, to your estate plan. You might decide or might have decided, hey, I want to um, benefit uh, charity um, with my estate planning. I mean, these, these are things that can, that can happen and you kind of just don't think about them or, or necessarily perceive them as, as major life changes, but they nevertheless will have a significant impact on your estate plan. Yeah. And as a follow-up to that, I think what, what we hear most often from clients, especially when they're looking at them every 20 years is I didn't know that document did X, Y, or Z. And it comes as a surprise to them that 20 years ago, they would have set something up that way. Well, if you look at it every two, three, five years, instead of cracking it open every 20, there's a better chance that you can call your estate planning attorney to see, you know, what is the document doing? Is it still functioning the way I want it to? If it isn't, let's amend it. Yes. So estate planning is more than just a will. What do the other estate planning documents do? What are they? Uh, so the crux of what you're always going to be building around is a will. Um, you're always going to be doing death planning. You're going to want an executor in there. If you're going to have to put something like a testament, testamentary trust for children and you're going to have to assign guardians, we're going to want those type of provisions in a will. What I would call your basic estate planning package is a will, a durable power of attorney for finances, a healthcare power of attorney, and an advanced directive. What you're trying to do is take care of every situation where you can't make a decision for yourself. So the healthcare power of attorney and the durable power of attorney will take care of you if you're ever incapacitated for your estate and for the estate of you as a person. Your will is going to take care of you when you pass away. So anytime you can't make a decision, you want somebody there to be able to take responsibility to do that. Yeah, and I would just um, agree wholeheartedly with what Andrew said. One thing I would mention is that a lot of times uh, the advanced directive that that he mentioned is uh, often referred to as a, a living will. And the, the crux of what it is is um, it addresses end-of-life uh, situations. How do you want your your last illness to proceed in terms of you know, do you want to just be made comfortable? Um, what about life support and artificial uh, nutrition and hydration and things like that? Do you want that or not? It's basically you saying to um, your power of attorney and to your, your health care providers, I do or do not want these measures taken uh, to prolong my life if it's clear that, you know, I'm in, I have a, I have a terminal illness. And so again, that's that's often called 
uh, a living well. So, And again, yeah. the whole point of that is to take the burden off to close people around you and Correct. family members who may have to make those difficult decisions. Correct. It provides you some certainty and then it also gives them um, some comfort that they're not put in the situations where they have to act or not act in, in some way that would be inconsistent with what you want. And if you, if you don't set it up, the alternative is you're going to court to get a guardianship for yeah. somebody. Yeah. It's expensive. It's time consuming. And you're not going to like that process. It's much easier to set up the documents, do the planning beforehand and have people in position. If you ever do have some event that occurs where you're going to need somebody to take responsibility for certain things in your life. So it sounds like these documents are important before death and after death, and they affect the people you care about most, both before and after death. Yes. That's a great way to describe it, Lauren. Thanks. It's so fantastic talking to you. Anyway, so you mentioned trust, and you, mes- you mentioned a testamentary trust. There's different types of trusts. Mm-hmm. What are they? How do they work? Does everybody need one? What is this trust fund baby thing we all hear about? <laughs> is that the unicorn? <laughs> They're not unicorns, um, but they they are, I think, a lot a lot more rare than we than we think. Um, basically, the structure of of uh, of of any trust is uh, you you as the person creating the trust are giving property to to another person or or entity uh, called the trustee, and it's the trustee's responsibility to hold that property. Um, for the benefit of a beneficiary. So I set up a trust to benefit my children. I give a certain amount of property to a trustee. Trustee holds that property um, with an eye towards preserving it and growing it for the benefit of my children. When it, it kind of all boils down to, to that with, with a trust. Now that being said, there are a lot of different purposes for which you can set up a trust. Um, you can set up a trust to benefit a beneficiary who may be under some uh, incapacity, either because they're, uh, say, a small child and, and can't manage the property themselves. Um, you set up a trust to benefit them with an eye towards the trust ending at some point and uh, the, the child uh, getting the property um, outright. Um, you may set up a trust for a beneficiary um, who's under another kind of disability, whether it's a, an illness or something like that, again, just to preserve the property uh, for, their, for their use and benefit. Um, other kinds of trusts relate to specific properties. So, for instance, a lot of times uh, trusts are set up to receive um, life insurance proceeds, um, which has a, a very significant tax benefit um, from an estate tax standpoint, but they're very specialized trusts um, for that purpose. But again, it's the the same structure. Property goes to a trustee and is held for the uh, for the benefit of a beneficiary, with the management of the property um, being uh, put in the trustee's hands. So I heard if I have a revocable trust, which is a different kind of trust than what maybe than what you were just talking about. Um, I wouldn't have to pay a state tax. Is that true? And can you talk about revocable trusts versus the other types? Yeah. So um, 
the biggest difference between like a, a testamentary trust and a rev, revocable trust. Testamentary trust is one that's included in your will and it's just set up in that in that document. A revocable trust is a standalone trust document that will allow you to put assets in there while you're living and do administration in there while you're living as well. You can also amend and revoke it as you see fit. Um, when it relate as it relates to estate tax, so the estate tax right now is eleven point five eight million in two thousand twenty, and if you're going to hit it, a rev trust won't help you. There are different types of trusts that we can take advantage of to help minimize the tax burden, but a revocable trust is just you in a trust form, is what it is. And when it comes to estate tax, you're not going to be able to avoid it by using that type of device. Yeah, I would I, I would just say, and and I agree with Andrew, revocable trusts don't really provide a tax benefit. Um, where they provide a benefit in terms of cost savings is they save um, probate costs um, because they they make for a much smoother administration of uh, of your estate after you pass away. So they they the the, the benefit is not so much a tax benefit, but there is a cost benefit uh, to setting up irrevocable trusts in the in the potential savings for uh, for probate fees and, and costs like that. Well, gosh, thank you all so much for being here. I feel like we've learned a lot today, and I think we're going to have to have you back on the podcast to talk about more because I have some more questions for you. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in, guys.